0: EMS on the Mountain is an entertainment, educational and commentary product recorded by Sean and Mike and produced by them. Nothing recorded by Sean, Mike or any of the guests of the show is endorsed, nor authorized by their respective employers or agencies unless explicitly outlined. All commentary and statements made are their own. Always follow your respective medical protocols. Nothing said on this platform should be considered medical
1: direction. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the EMS on the Mountain podcast, a show for those interested in austere and wilderness medicine. This podcast provides insight into the unique aspects and challenges of bringing modern EMS into wilderness and austere environments. Uno, Zero. And with that, welcome back to another episode of EMS on the Mountain. Yeah, I guess this is, what, second episode of 2024? So In theory, if that's when we publish it, which you're well probably known. is going to help in, but
0: who knows? You never know.
1: Yeah. So if you hadn't listened to episode number one of 2024, you probably should have figured out what we're doing these days. But just a quick overview. We now just talk about shit. And if we can apply it into the wilderness context, we do. Just because we've run out of a lot of very specific wildernessy topics. Uh, and keeping with that theme, today we're going to talk about the advanced emergency medical technician, that interim level provider within the, we'll call it the national registry and most states scope of practice, the initial entry level into advanced life support, or as like some people like to call them, the mini medic. That's a horrible name. I'll just say that right now. Everybody
0: yeah. listening, if you
1: if you call yourself a mini medic, stop it because you're not. Yeah, I say please don't. That's terrible. And right. just, I guess I'm going to give one caveat before we start this discussion, before everybody gets butt hurt, especially anybody that's out there that's an A. Mike and I were both advanced EMTs for a very long for time, several while. years. Yeah, yeah. So for several years, that's how we, I won't say that's how we got our start in this business. It's definitely not. We definitely started into this when we were just EMTs and then we progressed up yeah. to yep. the advanced EMT level. And then we decided we wanted more and, you know, eventually became paramedics. Oh, so- don't think
0: we're just, we're just as useless as we were when we were EMTs, Sean. <laughs> yeah,
1: right? So, <laughs> so, for, so for the A's out there or people who are interested in becoming A's, we're definitely not trying to discourage you. We're just trying to open a dialogue and put some food for thought out there. And uh, just know that we are coming from a place that we were both actually advanced EMTs for a couple of years. Well, not a couple, but several years. Several um, years. Multiple so refresh that. cycles. So. Yeah. So, so with that, Mike, what are, you, what are your initial thoughts on the A?
0: Okay, first off, I'm going to throw my caveats out after you threw your caveats out. And for those listening in 2024, they may have noticed that there's a new uh, disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast. So I don't have to reiterate that. But just to be clear, like, these are just our thoughts. They don't make us right. They don't make us wrong. It's just our opinion. Yeah. So disclaimer-wise, Sean has a deeper knowledge on the EMS credentialing systems than I He's been in the game longer. He's, he's done the testing dance more times than he'd like to admit. So I may get something wrong and he's quickly going to correct me because he knows all the things. Okay, first off, initial, let's set it, groundworks for the conversation. The advanced CMT is yet another attempt over the last 25 to 30 years to produce some sort of intermediary certification between a basic life support provider and a paramedic. Now, there's a whole bunch of different ways you can skin that cat, Scope of practice is not necessarily the same thing. It is, well, it's not only not necessarily, it is fundamentally not the same thing as certification levels in different states and different agencies handle things different ways. Uh, I work with one system where uh, advanced EMTs can do basically from a, from a uh, protocol and authorization perspective, they can do damn near everything a paramedic can do, including as of recently, epi on cardiac arrest. They can do from drugs, but the only thing they don't quote unquote get in their toolbox is anti dysrhythmics. They've got access to narcotics. They have access to all kinds of things that paramedics have traditionally done, and they are not allowed to intubate. I work in a different system where the advanced EMT level providers are not allowed to get to the narcotics. In fact, they aren't even allowed to have access to the box. Their scope of practice is more in line with an EMT that is allowed to start IVs and gives some toradol for pain management. So there's a wide swath of protocol adhere or protocol structure out there. I don't want to go too too deeply into what I think that the protocol should be, because I think on any given day in any given different situation, I could probably come up with different answers. But it is kind of clear to me, and I'm gonna lean on Sean's experience a little bit. The national registry, mostly driven by their customer, i.e. the states, has forever been trying to find the right balance of intermediary service level care between an EMT providing basic life support and transport to the doctor place and a paramedic who is given from a doctory perspective almost none from a pre hospital medicine perspective a metric boatload of pesophysiology and how the body works training when compared to emts advanced emts etc etc So ultimately, the mission seems reasonable, right? We need to provide care to people and get them to the hospital. Becoming a paramedic is hard. And quite frankly, based on the previous conversations we've had and and my follow-up on the last podcast, getting educated, like if we went to the path of an associate's degree is required for paramedics, that model is going to work in a lot of urban systems with a lot of money and career providers. But the reality is that a large swath of emergency medicine services are still provided by volunteers in, I'll call it, less than fully staffed capacity. Um, I'm going to throw a little bit something out there about a family member. Moms, as in mine, recently had a little MI. And there was not a primary American available to provide her care. The question that keeps coming up in my mind is, if there had been an advanced DMT there, would the outcome have been different? And then when I think about the structures of what we do pre-hospitally, allergic reactions, pain management, trauma intervention, cardiac events, strokes, where does the advanced EMT fit in and provide a unique level of care that is potentially valuable? And I keep wavering on
1: it. Is that, is that a decent setup, Sean? I mean, yeah, I would say so. I guess the only thing I'm going to add right now, right away, is we're going to give a quick history lesson on where the current A came from. So way back in the day, you had EMTs and paramedics. And then late 70s, early 80s, it was determined that some jurisdictions wanted something in the middle. So the first intermediate certification was developed, the EMTI intermediate. And for those that are familiar with the system, those were what became known as I 85 because that program became available in 1985. 85. Nailed it. Right. And so those folks, they were basically, they can start IVs. They had a very, very small pharmacological. Repertoire, if you will, right? So mm-hmm. big ones were like back in the day, D50, right? So they could help with the hypoglycemics. This is before, remember, this is back when when BLS was largely O2 and transport, right? So they could give like albuterol and Atrovet, right? So they could do your duo naps to take care of your respiratory folks. And I want to say they were able to do and this. And again, this is very by jurisdiction. might already cover that. So if you work someplace that had this level and you had a different scope, Roger, we got it, right? Things change. Things were different. And they could give epinephrine for allergic reactions, right? But that was, for the most part, it, right? Some jurisdictions, a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. Some places I know, it's like you could start IV access, and that was pretty much it. It is what it is. And then a few years go by, well, you know, over a decade goes by, people said, ah, we want our intermediate level guys to be able to do more. So they created the next level of EMT intermediate, the I-99 and this is what most people in the current era are most familiar with and that was a certification that was really just below that of paramedic for most places they were allowed to intubate adult patients they were able to administer you know 95% of the pharmacology to include most of the you know cardiac related type medications uh, their biggest downfall i think for most jurisdictions is they weren't allowed to do much Advanced procedures or medications on the pediatric side. Um, And again, that varied. Well, it got to the point where certain states and jurisdictions were essentially letting their I 99s function at the complete level of a paramedic. They were just like, yeah, you guys are close enough. You're just going to follow the paramedic level protocols and go, you know, do good work. The problem with that model was the I 99 educational curriculum didn't really support them having access and performing a lot of these things. There's a lot of consternation about, okay, this I-99 thing is way too much. It's too close to being a paramedic when you should have just done the extra three months of training and become a paramedic, right? You know, it's like a six month vice nine month training program. Mm -hmm. So, and they scrapped the I-85, I-99s and now they have the advanced DMT, which is somewhere between those two old legacy programs, right? So IV access, administration of you know basic IV fluids, whether it's ringers or or uh, normal saline, pharmacologically they can administer opioids for pain relief, glucagon, D10, D50 for your stuff, your albuterols, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So basically what they are short and Mike hit on this pretty good is really your cardiac meds. So your your legit cardiac meds, with the exception of some places are allowing cardiac epi simply because it's a monkey skill, like Mm. No <laughs> pulse, doing CPR. Uh, no attack. pulse, do CPR, push Epi, right. good to go. Hard to make them deader, but let's build a zombie. Different discussion. And then their airways are limited to supraglottics, you know, so I gels are kings, depending where you're, you're at these days. If, if you're a jurisdiction that's still buying combi tubes, I'm sorry. We'll try to get the word out that you guys can move on from that now. Uh, and that's really about it. So, in my opinion, as far as the intermediate level, this is probably about as close as they're going to get to hitting the right level. I think where we start to see issues is, I know in our local area, it is very hit or miss within our state that Mike and I are in. Some areas let their A's do their full scope. Uh, when I was named in my jurisdiction, I could function at the full scope of an A, mm-hmm. like as outlined in the National Standard of Practice. And there are some jurisdictions within the same state Whereas my state, it's like, eh, now we're going to let you give IV access. You can give a, a small fluid bolus. You can give albuterol and you can do supraglottic airways. And that's pretty much it. Or maybe, you know, you can probably still do some D10, D50, if you're still carrying D50 in your, in your trucks and epi for anaphylactic reactions. But a lot of them, it's okay. like, okay, that's it. I know a lot of places are also very heavily focused, their A's to be their, what we'll call their trauma specialist. Mm-hmm. right? Because all of the interventions they can do essentially focus a lot around initial trauma. I won't call it full resuscitation, but we'll just, for the simplicity of the discussion, call it trauma resuscitation, right? I can do all of the, I mean, it's BLS, let's be honest, all the wound care, tourniquets, stopping the bleeding, dressing, packing, etc., cetera. And then I can at least IV access and give at least start some initial fluid boluses as indicated. We're not going to get into the, but I'm giving pasta water, right? I hate that argument. That's a completely Mm -hmm. uneducated stance. You people need to grow the fuck up and do some research and read some actual studies. (laughs) And if you're like, but we're making Kool Aid, if you're still a jurisdiction that's yelling two large boy IVs wide open, you are in a backwoods, hillbilly jurisdiction that needs to give it up, right? Nobody's given two liter fluid boluses anymore. And if you are, seriously, where are you? Yeah, like yeah. you guys are idiots. So anyway, I digress again. So they're trying to make them like a trauma specialist. Does mm-hmm. this work? I don't know. I have an I mean, opinion on that one. But yeah, so but what we're ending up with is, is jurisdictions trying to creep this advanced DMT back closer to a paramedic and giving them additional things to make them the mini medic, the paramedic light. And it's because they want it they're trying to save time and money somewhere and they're trying to up their skills and protocol availability. They're trying to expand could,
0: the right? scope from EMT without investing in the education
1: to with. Yes, and, what, yeah, and that's where I was going to go and finish my statement off with is I've got familiarity with exactly two advanced EMT programs, one I used to teach for and the one I went through. The one I went through was very well run. It was run through a level one hospital, a trauma center, right? It was run through that hospital's training department and the education was fantastic. We learned a lot. Right, way more than the standard advanced DMT curriculum, which was good because then you understood those things that you were now able to do. You knew why you were doing them and what that medication was actually doing in the body. Other programs, they technically meet the national standard for the curriculum. They teach you to the curriculum and you pass, you get your card and it looked just like mine did, but you didn't learn anything about the actual pathophysiology. You didn't learn Better patient assessments, et cetera. So, all they really did was over basically a five month period, six month period, is they made you an EMT who could give drugs and start IVs, but they didn't really truly increase your knowledge. And that is my, in my opinion, where most advanced EMT programs are failing and why there either needs to be a revamp and people need to take it serious, or we just need to quit having an intermediate level. All right.
0: Well, I don't know where the hell I land. Here's some more background. Sean and I became advanced EMTs initially because at the time this one of the the system that he and I operated in together and in case anybody has figured out in the last 2 years of this podcast he and I worked together in one system and we work in different systems we're talking about to that <laughs> the system that we were working together in didn't have a cardiac monitor mm-hmm. and so when we when we initially started doing the works there as EMTs, we immediately were like, cool, we want to become advanced EMTs and do more stuff. But the pathway to paramedic didn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense because there was, no, there was no cardiac drugs at the time and there was no cardiac monitor, which if you go full scope advanced EMT, other than a couple of intubation things, there's a lot of stuff like under the registry scope of an advanced EMT that can be done by an advanced EMT. The part I think I'm struggling with here, and as we're talking about this, this is becoming clearer and clearer to me, your advanced EMTs are only as good as your education precepting and expectations. Mm. So I don't know. I par, Sometimes now that I have become a paramedic and sat through the education and for, I mean, I, I guess I'll throw this out for clarity. Sean and I were both seasoned, knowledgeable advanced EMTs with a decade of experience in pre-hospital medicine each, like over 20 years combined, when he and I went to paramedic school, and we went to a B2P program. We did not attend a bridge course from an advanced CMT to paramedic. They didn't even really exist at the time we did it. They were just starting to come about. My experience in the education was a train wreck. And to Sean's point, he, he went to a program run by a tier one hospital. I went to an online program and then I flew to a state and I did like 10 days of didactic, which met the requirement of, or I'm sorry, the practicals that met the requirement of doing n number of IVs to allow you to sit the test. But the education was on me and I was motivated. I did it, but the fail rate was pretty high in my class because a lot of folks weren't forced into understanding the whys. The advanced EMT does not teach the wise at a level to give people the baseline understanding as to how the medications they are pushing affects the physiology of the patient. And that might be okay for 60, 70, maybe even 80% of patients. The kicker is and I'm going to go back to the way I've like I've been saying this for a long time. Sean's going to be he's going to laugh and be like, "Dude, you've been through this all." Well. Advanced MTs are fine until they're not. It's when things go wrong. When it turns out you pushed the fentanyls too fast or the patient has an adverse reaction to the thing that you did. That's when things start to come off the tracks a little bit because a really, really skilled, really knowledgeable AEMT that came from a good program and is motivated to learn, they're going to be fine. But the advanced EMT, in my opinion, has always been the bridge to get a higher level of care to the peoples because we don't have paramedics. And that said, if things go off the rails and it's only you and you can't you know, phone a friend, this is where things go bad. That said, there's probably a lot of paramedics out there that haven't put a whole lot of time, energy, and effort into maintaining their craft and don't care to, and they might be in the same boat. If it doesn't go as expected, they can be in a bad way, too. So it's not necessarily about the advanced DMT, but I just, I don't, I mean, I I keep wavering. I'm wavering right now in the conversation. I'm not sure if there's value in it or not. Well, that
1: said, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was going to say, for certain jurisdictions, I believe there is value, right? And I go to those very remote rural communities where their tax base is going to have a very hard time because a lot of places that have a very low run volume, it's very hard Mm -hmm. to attract a good qualified paramedic to come to you, especially if you're a small remote jurisdiction. You're not as broke as it is. And as
0: much as we talked about it, we're not going to reiterate it here, but. Taking people to the hospital is the only way to get reimbursed and covered in the right. compensation dance. And if you don't have the money to pay for paramedics that feel they can make more elsewhere in bigger systems, they will go there.
1: Yeah. And so you have these places where, yeah, you can't afford to pay well. Like you want paramedics, but you can't afford to pay them much unless you find somebody who's, you know, maybe they worked downtown Boston for a decade or more and they're like, I'm done with this. I'll move to rural West Virginia, Kentucky. And yeah, if I run, Two calls and a twenty-four. Awesome, right? I'll take the pay cut. Life will be great. A lot of those places have a hard time recruiting paramedics for that, and I think this is a lot of the times why the registry and the various states maintain these interim intermediary levels, because I mean, an A program. I mean, you could do a you could do an academy style, knock it out in three four months, and meet the minimum standard, which I don't think is enough, and we'll probably talk about this more, but. Or you could do the traditional, you know, a couple nights a week, one day, a weekend, et cetera, part-time program, and it gets knocked out in a five to six month period. So you've just invested essentially a year in someone's EMS education between EMT and advanced EMT. And I look at it and go, well, you know, if you invested another three to four months, depending on the program, you'd have a paramedic, Mm -hmm. but that's, it's a different thing, right? So for those places who can't, afford paramedics where they can't recruit paramedics. If they can get, even if it's, you know, at volunteer, career paid staff, whatever it is, an advanced DMP, somebody who can show up, and this is again where we go back to that educational piece, has to understand what exactly is going on or have a very good idea what's going on with the patient and begin that initial treatment and stabilization. Even if they can't do all of the things, at least they should have a good idea of what's going on, can start and do the things they can do and get moved into a hospital. But If you are still working in a, we'll say, a more populous urban suburban area, do we need advanced EMTs? I would say no, right? Because the standard tiered response systems that exist in most of these places these days using EMT level BLS trucks and the paramedic ALS trucks, you're covered, Mm -hmm. right? If it's an ALS response, paramedics are going. I know Mike and I, both of our jurisdictions were huge we're really getting on the A train, right? They were like, yeah, advanced mm-hmm. DMTs, this is going to be it. And both of our respective, and we're talking about two disparately really different places. Both of them decided, uh, maybe not, this might not be the answer. Like where I'm at, they no longer send career personnel to become certified that advanced DMTs, right? They just won't do it. They, they, no, they don't. It's like, if you're going to be ALS, you're a paramedic, mm. right? We don't run dual medic trucks. It's EMT paramedic. So it's not like some of the other places where it's paramedic, two paramedics and three paramedics on an engine, and you show up on scene and there's more paramedics than you know what to do with. But they found that, and again, this is just based on one place, some of the advanced EMTs were getting in over their head. Calls were being dispatched as ALS. It was hard to determine ALS paramedic versus advanced EMT unless it was very Mm -hmm. clearly cardiac or respiratory arrest, right, in which case you need those advanced cardiac and airway things that come with being a paramedic. And so you might find the advanced EMT dispatched to what should have been a simple hypoglycemic, but then it turned out to be a lot more than that, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going in looking for low blood sugar. They don't get low blood sugar. They can't figure out why. So they just start going to the hospital without maybe tossing them on the monitor and realizing that the reason they're unresponsive, pale, and diaphoretic isn't because the blood sugar's thirty; it's because their heart rate's thirty. It's because their heart rate's thirty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, crap, what do I do? Right. Because then they can't pace. They can't push a presser to start getting things going. Yeah. Did they stop and call? There's no atropine their, in there. Yeah. Box. Right. There's yeah. there's no yeah, there's nothing for them. Right. So do they now stop transport or now call and delay transport waiting for a paramedic to get on scene, et cetera? And so it was just like, oh, hey, we're just going back to paramedics and EMTs. Uh, And I think for our jurisdiction, that is exactly what's needed. We do, you know, we use EMD. It's a tiered response thing. If there's the closest available transport unit is a BLS truck and they believe ALS might be needed, they'll send an engine. All of our engine and other fire apparatus generally have at least one ALS provider on them and they can upstaff as needed. And if everything's cool. And just for clarity, ALS provider means paramedic in this part. Correct. Yes. For us, it means paramedic. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I think I don't believe we have any more career advanced DMTs left. There might be one floating around. And I think on the volunteer side, folks, there might be one or two still floating around, but not many. Right. One of them I know is finishing paramedic school right now. Who should be done any day now. So it is what it is. So I think there's a value to having an advanced DMT, but I think it really lies in those very rural communities that can't Get paramedics for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Uh, you can justify the excuse for not having them. It is what it is. But the, so the, I have two the, thoughts. And, I, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm
0: I'm going back a little bit. I believe in Virginia they used to have this concept called a shock trauma tech. Huh, and yeah, that's that's actually kind of pretty close to what an advanced EMT sort of is, right? It's like an EMT well, with like IV skills. Yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't say what an advanced EMT is. Again, I want to be super, super brutally clear here. The scope for an advanced EMT is wide and diverse across the country. So your experience may be different. But when you think about a shock trauma tech, their job was to intervene on shock and trauma, traumatic events, and get them to the doctor place, right? And
1: it was largely start a line, drive fast. Yeah, it was. It was like, Um, yeah, start an IV, get fluid bolus, go to hospital.
0: Yep. There is an argument to be had. And I've heard a lot of paramedics say that they love having an advanced EMT on their truck because then the skills, right? The execution of a lot of things can be distributed. For example, if the paramedic is worried about the cardiac event, the paramedic can be working on evaluating the cardiac, excuse me, cardiac rhythm or talking with bystanders, whatever the case may be, right? Determining their differential diagnosis while the advanced EMT is getting IV access and doing the physical things required to be ready to give a medication as necessary. All of that said, I know systems that allow EMTs to start IVs. Like, do you need mm-hmm. to go to A school to be able to start IVs? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. IV access is a thing that is becoming more ubiquitous. It is kind of the first step toward all the other interventions we want to do for the most part, although that's becoming less and less true now as well. So I'm not sure that advanced EMT is just for IVs. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot a little bit and say, are advanced EMTs good in the woods? like in a wilderness setting. And I, I think I'm going to be a less binary when we talk about urban systems, right? I think there is a place for, me personally, I think there is a place for advanced EMT level trucks if the scope of practice is up against or completely aligned with the national scope with chase medics, determining as to whether or not they need to ride the call just as a tiered system management model, right? If you are sending a paramedic, A lot of systems, and I I understand the why, a lot of systems have medic trucks and they have EMT trucks. And then if an EMT truck rolls as the first due, then the medic truck also rolls second due. Then if the patient needs a medic, they get put in the medic unit and they get taken to the doctor place with the medic. If they don't need a medic, they're put in the BLS truck and taken by the BLS group. If you pivot that just a little bit and have trucks with BLS or AEMTs on them with chase medics that are distributed appropriately, you can... Again, this is going to very widely system to system. You mitigate the medic vacuum, right? Everyone's having a problem with staffing, right? So now you have paramedics that are available to paramedic the shit out of it, so to speak, as necessary without tying them to a transport for the things that were in their first due that were not ALS level calls, right? So in, the, in a lot of models, right, there's an ALS truck and a BLS truck. If the transport unit in the first due has a paramedic level of care, they end up taking the BLS transport for the twisted ankle because it was in their first due. Whereas if the paramedics are chasing, so a paramedic is chasing two, let's call it do A and do B, and those both have BLS level trucks, the paramedic is not taken out of service to provide that BLS level care and transport. That is a system staffing problem. That is not a scope of practice problem, but I have seen more and more of that occurring because the number of paramedics available to the entire system is... It's constantly a balancing act. Now, let's talk about the woods. I was an advanced CMT in a wilderness system for a while. I think they are useless. <laughs> I was useless. I think they are useless because for, for the two years we've been doing this podcast and all the things we've talked about, the woods adds two fundamental, like wilderness settings and two fundamental aspects to any bit of patient care that you just have to accept. One of them is the environment right? It is constantly a factor. It is not only the rare call that you get for hypothermia, because most people you run in an urban system are in a house or building a car or whatever. The environment is always a factor. And two, time is a factor. It takes longer to extricate people in the backcountry than it would if it turns out you're in a car accident in your neighborhood. It's just math. That time differential is where having paramedic-level knowledge of basophysiology comes into play for critically ill patients. I think EMTs can do just fine, splinting and caring for people. And Sean and I've talked about this a lot, right? Tylenol and Advil together in pill form, shoved down the gullet is a perfectly acceptable analgesic for a lot of minor sprains, strains, et cetera, et cetera. You do not need IV access and opiates every time you twist your ankle. In fact, it's probably not a good idea. That's a BLS level call. Now you add an advanced EMT that can start a line and do a couple of things. That's fine. But most things in the woods are either time related or they're orthopedic. And that orthopedic care, like let let's go with a, let's go with a fictitious situation, a relatively benign broken ankle, two and a half miles from the nearest road. Well, if I'm pushing opiates two or three times, or I have to start getting into pharmacological dances where I I've only got so much fentanyl or I've only got so much morphine and I've got ketamine in my quiver, so to speak, in my toolbox, as they like to call it. I hate that term. The toolbox. Well, now when we start getting into like a dose of this, a dose of that, like how do we mix them? That really comes down to pathophysiological knowledge and the ability to intervene if it turns out that goes badly. And that's really a paramedic level problem. Advanced EMTs are not through the baseline education system. They are not properly equipped to handle two, three, four doses of fentanyl with ketamine, with whatever else and the hypothermia, and all the other things that come with it. We just don't teach them enough pathophysiology to make them good at that.
1: What say you, Sean? Am I, am I barking up the wrong tree here? No, I would say I was 100% opposite of you, but I'm not completely. I think you're correct when it comes to sick patients, especially in the wilderness. That, that is definitely a paramedic-level problem, just be for the reasons you stated. For these simple injuries, well, let's be honest, for most folks operating in We'll stay, and we'll look at a, a normal wilderness, woodsy backcountry kind of thing. Expeditions is your number one, right? For that, yeah, sure. If you want to be able to, you know, start a line, give them some narcotics for the pain, excellent. But I think, like you said, a lot of that really depends. Is this like, are we talking? We're going to have them out in a couple of hours because I know I'm always mesmerized because of our response issues, and and when I see other places. have wilderness programs and they can hike in with a fanny pack and some med gear and that's more than enough to take care of their their time dealing with a patient you know and you and i have to essentially take full packs with all of our kit just because it could end up being hours like hours hours like six eight twelve we've had the overnighters etc and these sometimes these overnighters don't start out as overnighters they just the reality of the patient and available resources for evacuation or weather conditions, et cetera, suddenly say that, hey, guess what? We're now camping. But beside all that, I don't really have an issue per se with an advanced DT being the wilderness guy, right? Just because pain management is a good thing. But like you mentioned, when you start getting into those extended things, and I had a patient, I don't know, a couple of years ago now, probably, where she most definitely broke her tip, fib, just above the ankle. Like it, it was obvious, right? I don't have x-ray glasses, but yeah, you, you broke those. And she did not like ketamine. She had a very negative reaction to the ketamine, which is a, a separate discussion on why that occurred. And so we had to revert to fentanyl. Oh, I remember I, this one. Had, yeah. Right? And so I used all of my fentanyl, Mike's fentanyl, and one of the other responders brought their narcotics and I took their fentanyl too. Right. I think at the end of the day, this lady got 500 mics of fentanyl. And when we, we took her to the ED, the, the triage nurse was like, wait, how much fentanyl did you give her? Right. She kind of yeah. like freaked out for a minute till we told her how long we'd been with her, which I think was like six or eight hours. Like, yeah, it was a while. You are correct that you can't just make somebody and, and again, if there's somebody listening that runs an advanced EMT program out there that that's really teaching this stuff good on you, this doesn't really apply to you, but this is to the couple of. A programs that I have seen and might have seen and talking to other folks that we both know their A's that have been to, they just don't teach enough of that. What I would call it foundational knowledge for an advanced level provider, right? Because an advanced DMT it is an A provider, whether you like mm-hmm. to call them that you can, like, want to call them intermediate life support. Like, I think that's, you're either advanced life support or you're not intermediate, but what is intermediate life support? Right? That's not, not basic, but not knowledge. quite advanced. Yeah. You're, You're better than basic, but you're not in advanced things. So it's like, cool, what does that really mean? Anyway, different discussion. so if you don't get it, right? And then we have another, and I'll I'll just bring both of these patients up that both of us, Mike and I have have responded to. One was initially just for some illness, some vomiting, wasn't feeling well, get on scene. There's one guy just wretched in the grass. Mm, And it's like, -hmm, oh, mm -hmm." okay, right? And it's like, okay, let's start taking a look at him. So I get out with the, uh, the initial person who had called for this assistance, get this guy Well, this is, uh, we are working our normal wilderness gig, but this was a front country response to campground. Get this guy in the back of the unit, start doing evaluations. It's like, Oh shit. Yep. You're sick. We're definitely taking you to the doctor. Uh, my, my good friend, Mike, there comes banging in the side door. He's like, Hey man, can he stay in the airway seat? It's like, yeah, you should be fine. Here's a like, cool. Cause I got one dying in the shitter. Right. <laughs> so he got led to another guy that was having similar stuff but this guy had made his way down to one of the bathrooms and was trying to vomit inside a fucking public shitter which is you got to be sick for that one yeah for sure so we ended up taking and treating two patients at once in the back of a very tiny ambulance which was great started lines gave him fluid boluses monitoring everything else but what made this tricky was these guys weren't just sick with the flu or something. Easy, they had forged a what they thought were some wild onions, which were not wild onions. And not I'm not going to give onions. away too much because we're we're going to be doing this one as a case review this year. Some of it's a severe bradycardia. It can braid you down and drop blood pressure so low that it kills people. Right. Well, we didn't know that at the time. We didn't know what they had. So we had to work through that as paramedics and understanding like, okay, hell, okay, they both got fluid boluses. The pressures and stuff came back up. Things were looking good. Continued to vomit. I think we both gave Zofran. That didn't really do much for him. Didn't do much. Yeah. Um, And so by the time we got them down to the local hospital, their prayers and their their heart rates were dropping again pretty significantly. And it was about that time we were getting ready to start some push dose stuff. And it's like, okay, we're backing in. Okay. So yeah, people, you can cast as like, oh, you shouldn't have held back. You should have still given it. We didn't. We wheeled him in the back door of the emergency department. Mm-hmm. And the doc, we gave him the rundown, and he's like, uh, yeah, cool. And Basically, he started them on a presser each, too. And I would say that if we were not paramedics and we could not relay the information, what we learned, and I won't say eloquently, but correctly. We were lost
0: at the time. We had no idea what was going on, but it was pretty clear that well, they went from a sick person call to a... Yeah. Dude, this is some sort of like exposure and we're not sure what the hell they got exposed to, but multiple people in the same place got exposed to the same thing and it's causing heart rates of like 40 and blood pressures of like 80 over go fuck yourself. (laughs) Like two guys in the back of the truck with two providers, each one working on one person because that's all the transport capability we had. That's not, Yeah, I don't want to say that, that is a system problem, not an education problem, but an advanced EMT would be kind of stuck to do anything well, other than I'm love the hell out of them and like drive
1: faster. But that's just right? it, right? It, yeah, looking at, because we both, we had because at the time we had one cardiac monitor and so we had to trade off, run in mm-hmm. some quick 12 leads just to see if that was an issue on either one of them. They were both clear. Mike's definitely, definitely was, I think, the more severe. So we kept him on the monitor and I just kept taking manuals and stuff, which was great. But the identification of this is beyond just a little food poisoning or you guys just, you got the flu, you know, hanging out with your buddies, fucking something. This was beyond that. And if you don't understand the pathophys and then like being able to, A, go down the route of like, okay, we need to start looking at some push dose because obviously just fluid boluses aren't going to get it done. You're not going to know that. And then I will say the next one was backcountry call we had for a guy who was, was determined that he could no longer hike. He wasn't feeling right. Mm-hmm. Get on scene. And turns out he knew pretty much, he felt fairly confident what he had. And it turned out it was a case of rhabdo. And so, you know, Mike and I put together a treatment plan for him for, you know, general, we'll call it generic rhabdo care in the woods, which, by the way, folks, in the woods, there's not much you're going to do for that. And getting ready to call a physician. Actually, I think we did call. And they were like, cool, we did. Yeah. Administer, administer the following meds. And it was kind of like, yeah, man, this is what we got. And it's like, okay, so cool. Give him a lot of fluid. Keep an eye on his urine and uh, get him out as soon as you can. Yep. And that's what we did. But this is another one of those cases where understanding the pathophysiology of rhabdo, what it's doing, what you need to be keeping your eye on and what you may or may not be able to do for your patient, given the location and the limited supplies is important. And had we been A's, it would have been like, uh, I don't know, man, we can start an IV and give you some fluid. How do you feel about Tylenol right now? Will that make you feel better? And it wouldn't have done much, right? It might've made him just physically feel better, but it wasn't going to help his problem. And honestly, the only thing that helped his problem was fluid in time and then going to see Mm -hmm. a doctor. And again, that's one we're probably going to do. full case review on. So we're not going to talk too much about the rest of it, but these are just two examples. And we've got a lot of them where the advanced DMT just wouldn't have been enough. Right. Right. Could the A have had enough understanding truly of the pathophys and everything else to handle the extended carry out of that, of that lady that broke her leg and had to get a lot of fentanyl? Yes. Right. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah. I would say that is not beyond the scope of an A. Right. It's just, and, and we go back to it. It's the education piece for an A. You have to understand, right? So if you're operating in a, we'll call it traditional urban EMS setting, and you got a 15 minute or so ambulance drive time, hell yeah, you guys can run most of the calls pretty much every day, right? I think yep. there was a study done, and the advanced EMT, if able to practice at the full scope, mind you, uh, can handle upwards of around 90% of all mm-hmm. calls, right? And mm-hmm. so it's those top 10% that really require the paramedic. Mm-hmm. And I caveat that with, yes, if your A really is on their game and knows what they're doing. Right? Because again, you walk into that, uh, this is just a low blood sugar, let's get it and go. Then is it, or is there an underlying condition? Right. Or this was a, this was a simple fall with, with grandma. And was it, you know, did you think, do you remember why you fell? No, no, I just remember being on the floor. Well, we need to start looking at why you're on the floor, you know, and that's where the paramedics to be like starting to think some cardiac issues, maybe some blood sugar. Is this a neurological deficit? Did you have a right. seizure? Things like that, that most A's, it wasn't in your educational profile. So you just don't really think about them a lot, right? You, when you hear altered, your brain goes to, I can give D10 and D50. Let's check blood sugar, right? Some places, if if you're allowed to do Versed or another benzo for seizures, you might think seizure maybe, maybe not. So it's not that the A is bad or inappropriate. I just think there are a lot of times and it's, it's the, the unknown we'll call it the X factor mm-hmm. of the wilderness and austere environment where you get a report of maybe this is what's going on. And then you get on scene and that is not at all what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Mike had another case. I think we might've talked about a couple of years ago of a hiker who was just A little tired and possibly dehydrated, or as we later learned, most likely having a cardiac event and really needed Mm -hmm. to go see a doctor, right? But you're not gonna know that. And you can't just default to, oh, I'm an A, start an IV, give some fluids, fix your dehydration problem, sort of, and let's get you moving, right? That's not necessarily the case. Yep. And that's just, that's where I come down, right? So it's like, I don't believe that A's are a bad thing. I think A's are a good thing. Jurisdictionally dependent. I don't think an A is the right choice for a lot of places, but it might be the perfect choice for others. Right. So if your choice Mm. is I can either have an advanced DMT or or only EMTs, yeah, or no ALS, then yeah, get some advanced DMTs. But if you have the ability to build paramedics and have paramedics, then yes, you should be able to provide the highest level care you can to those who need it. All right. It's, I mean, we can get into the whole moral and ethical. Medical care dilemma, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, but that gets into everybody should get a paramedic for everything. We all know that that's just not necessary either. So no, that
0: also burns their paramedics in... and makes them unhappy. Well,
1: so yeah, is a, is there a time and place for the advanced EMT? In my opinion, absolutely. But in my opinion, we need to step up the game and advanced EMT education. If that's a thing we're going to keep,
0: yeah, I think that's fair. And that doesn't necessarily have to be from the. Formal education process, though, I do think our formal education process for AMS is relatively broken. Well, I'm going to close with this. I tend to agree with Sean. I don't think that the advanced EMT is completely chasing a ghost, but I, don't, I, I still do not believe that really sick, hurt, and slash hurt people, or sick or hurt people, are well served by getting an advanced EMT and then calling it done. Uh-huh. Right. Time is a factor, and paramedicine and pathophysiological level knowledge of a paramedic is really what keeps people in an okay state until you get them to a hospital in extended situations like the wilderness. And to all of my advanced EMTs out there that are listening or folks that are in advanced EMT school, everything you're learning is still very useful. And I'm actually a fan. I did it. Sean, you did it. Like paramedic school was pretty easy for us because we oh yeah invested in our advanced EMT. Like the only thing I really had to learn was cardiology and some puzzle fit like some, some, uh, Sorry, body functions one on one sort of stuff.
1: But yeah, I would 100% the rest of it that. was a
0: cakewalk, right? And if yeah. if you want to stagger your education and do it get to a paramedic in a stepwise fashion, the advanced EMT education pathway is an excellent way to do that because you learn most of the things you need to know so you can focus most of your time on the stuff you don't.
1: Well, and I would say with that though is not just the education, spend a time on truck as as an yeah. A, right? Yeah, as an A. Yeah, Because just completing what, you know, you went back to back, A, EMT to A, and then you're like, well, hell, this paramedic course is starting to really like this advanced life support. Well, hell, you should just skip the A and gone right from B to P, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, Mike's 100% correct, right? So there are three of us in our class that were already advanced EMTs. All three of us had been A's for years at that point. Right? Season time, yeah. Yeah, so we had spent, like, we were already, what I would call, fairly experienced junior, if you will, or that intermediate life support providers. So for us, med math knew it. Pharmacology had about 85 to 90% of it already down. Cardiology piece was probably the big one. You know, having to learn your rhythms and all your ACLS related type things and a little bit more of that advanced cardiac, you know, the pathophys and anatomy physiology type stuff that you don't necessarily get in the other ones. And then advanced airway. Well, you know, we'd already, well, supraglottics were already done. All of us, just because of the training we'd gone to, we knew how to intubate a mannequin's head like a champion. So. Mm-hmm. learning intubation stuff was we already knew how to do it but getting the formal education again i think that was one of the areas where we learned a little bit more again as a is some of that airway management and some of the critical pieces of airway management uh that you don't really get as an a that a paramedic definitely understands better and after that like just going through scenarios just the training drills and all the other stuff like mm-hmm. oh okay Well oh no, a person down, whatever will I do, right? It was easy, right? So when you go into, if you've already been an A for a couple of years, then you go into paramedic school. If you're having a hard time, either your paramedic program is, is obscenely hard for no reason, or your A program sucked and you are not prepared for paramedic, right? But if you went to a decent A program and you've been practicing as an A, you should know most of this material. Should be a cakewalk, yeah. And the three of us, we passed straight through, no issues passed all of our registry stuff, no worries. And all three of us are still practicing paramedics, right? So the A is definitely a good thing. If I had to, if I got to be in charge of the registry, would I adjust some of the scope of an A? I think I would. Don't know exactly what that would be yet necessarily, but something else in my mind I might mull about. I guess that's what it is. So bottom line, I mean, I think we've- we've We're fans. I'm in a place. It's just got to be- Training people. So even if you were an A and you went to a shitty program, there's no excuse not to learn more. Yeah. Get Educations on there. Education is available it.
0: online right now for free. Do it.
1: Yeah. Say there's so many ways to do advanced education. So get on that. If you're an A, up your game. Hell, if you're, I don't care what provider you're at, learn yeah. up your game. If you're a
0: paramedic, up your game. If you're a nurse practitioner, up your game. If you're a, I don't know, whatever. EMTs or EMR. EMRs. EMRs
1: up your right. Game.
0: Yeah. Just don't go so far up in your game that you start making differential diagnosis decisions and doing things that are outside of your scope. That's where you get in trouble. Knowing stuff is not bad. It's when you
1: do things that you're not allowed to do that you get in trouble. Don't do that. Yeah. 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 So if you're an A and you take an ACLS course, stay away from you know interpreting rhythms and then trying to treat, you know? Yeah, exactly. You're going to find yourself under some scrutiny, perhaps. You're going to have some conversations for sure.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we're going to call this a wrap. Peace. Word. Peace. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for show topics, you can send us an email at the show at emsonthemountain.com or hit us up on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Instagram at EMS on the mountain, Twitter at EMSOTM, or you can engage with us and a whole community of wilderness
1: EMS professionals at locals.com/slash wilderness EMS. Until the next episode, thanks for joining us. And until we see you on the mountain, train hard. Be safe and do good work.